Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The number of calls for service for the Coburg Police was down this past year. This is the third year in a row. Yet the number of incidents related to illegal drugs like fentanyl or cocaine or crystal meth was up. Violent crimes like people using weapons during an assault was also up. Coburg Chief Paul Vandegraaff will discuss these stats and more this week. It is all part of a conversation we had about the annual report for 2021. I'm so pleased to have with me today Chief Paul Vandegraaff of the Coburg Police Service Welcome to Consider This. Thanks, Rob. What is your biggest takeaway from the 2021 annual report? Uh, 100%, it's, a, it's an easy answer, is the resiliency of uh, the team I have the pleasure to lead. Uh, again, year two of the pandemic, constant change, the impact on first responders, but most importantly, the impact that that has on their families and the fact that our team came through as strongly as we did, that's my biggest and strongest and happiest takeaway. When you talk about impacts, what kinds of things are you talking about specifically? We, we're con- in a, in, in, uh, listen, life is a constant state of change, but really what we're talking about is the closures, the openings, um, a, a fair amount of public discourse as to what is the right way to manage a pandemic. Oftentimes in the early part of the year, our folks were thrust into the front or the tip of the spear of resolving uh, political discourse on the matter, which makes it quite difficult. And then they're putting themselves at risk and their families at risks. So that's exactly what we're talking about by the impacts, all the while providing an absolutely exemplary service to the community to continue their uh, uh, strong strong, uh, attachment and engagement with Coburg. We've heard a lot about uh, mental health and the impact on first responders and frontline individuals. How has this impacted the police force? You know what? Um, so we, we manage the mental health of our own staff um, each and every day, like everybody going through this pandemic had to manage their own. But we also got to assist with managing that mental health in the community. And we did see uh, an upswing in the amount of calls for service in relation to uh folks in our community who are struggling for a variety of reasons. So um, not only were we trying to manage our own path through this pandemic, we were also trying to assist the community when they needed our assistance. Body cameras were a big item on the agenda over the past year. It took a lot of consultation and review by the Police Services Board to make a decision. What is it going to be the long-term impact of that decision as you go forward? Yeah, listen, that was, uh, I think, to quote Chair Pepper, that was the single most or single largest public consultation that he can recall the Coward Police Services Board ever undergoing. So um, kudos to to the community who participated. The long-term impact, I think, is um, increased accountability 
to the community. I think nationally, or if not internationally, the public see the body-worn cameras as an opportunity to in enhance accountability of policing. So our survey saw a overwhelming percentage of the population who were interested in us moving forward on this. The fact that the plan that we were able to do have evergreening built in, had some enhanced uh, officer safety protocol and some uh, technology enhancements, uh, just we, we got really fortunate with the plan. I think we're gonna be a more responsive. We're going to be uh, a current police service in North America. I, as I've said all along, right now people are asking us if we have body-worn cameras. Um, I would say with by the end of this uh, year, uh, it'll be a matter of why you don't have them. So I'm really excited that the project is well underway and we're really excited to see a rollout um, completely with our service by the end of June. What's going to be the cultural impact on the police service once you start wearing these body cameras? I think internally, we're going to see some, 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 some reticence, maybe some hesitancy at first, just trying to figure out what this is. Um, but it's, it's, it's fast becoming a, a, an amazing tool. Our officers, we started a program, so we have an internal committee built of the officers and staff who are going to be wearing this. So uh, right now, they're seeing inherent benefits already, um, early uh, resolutions of SIU matters, earlier resolutions of OIPRD complaints. So I think um, once we get used to this new technology on our, uh, in the middle of our chests, I think we'll, um, we'll, we'll bumble a little bit at the beginning. I'm going to ask everybody's patience, but uh, I, I, listen, I, I've said many times before, I have the great honor to lead a very professional group of people, and I suspect this will be no different. You mentioned in your remarks within the report a, quote, staggering increase in homelessness. How did that impact the police service over the past year? What was different about it in 2021? Well, what we're finding now is that uh, homelessness is front and center in many, many communities um, and no different here in Coburg. Coburg be the county seat. All of the services for our uh, lovely Northumberland County sit here in Coburg. Therefore, um, we, we, we tend to have people who come and come for service. The impacts, what we have is, um, is, is exasperated through a pandemic. It's exasperated about the freedom of movement for individuals who find themselves vulnerably homed. Um, so what we're really in, what we really saw was there was a lot more effort put in to try to create a safe space for people who find themselves homeless. Obviously, this is uh, coupled in more times than not with addictions at random and or other mental health crises. So for us, it's a, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Um, and the drug poisonings that we're seeing in our community, is it, this is a health crisis. And um, when you look at it, Maslow's basic, basic needs of shelter, clothing, and housing. And right now, uh, as a community, the police are oftentimes asked to lead in, in resolution on that, which really we shouldn't. Who should be leading? It should be a multifaceted table. It needs to be all parties coming together. The police definitely have a role to play, but we can't be the gap. We can't be the stopgap for all of these concerns. So I'm very fortunate to uh, lead uh, all police services for Northumberland County on the community safety and well-being team. And this obviously is one of our key issues, both addictions and homelessness. And when we did our own uh, strategic plan uh, surveying, uh, that issue came first and foremost as one of the key issues we'll be trying to address. Will you be opening your emergency homeless shelter service again in 2022? Yeah, so we did actually during the cold weather of our uh, this past winter during the cold alerts, we opened up our lobby 
to allow people to come in during our regular office hours to, and to get warm and to uh, get their necessary use the washroom or fill their water jugs and get any services. We're obviously an immediate stop going for the Northumberland Eats food voucher program. So we're going to continue to operate in that same fashion. Um, and we're going to continue to work with the county and with the town and look at what our different uh, uh, housing solutions exist. I can say from over the past few years, the folks at Transition House and at the church have done a really, really good job. And we've had a uh, open shelter all night long, all winter long with very, very few uh, calls for service. So um, I think we, we have an emergent gap. Now we have to look at long-term or medium-term solutions. The opioid crisis continues to be felt in Coburg. You mentioned in your report, the poisoning of drugs increased over the past year. Can you provide us with some detailed examples of what your officers are finding on the streets? Absolutely. Um, what we're finding uh, currently now is uh, a bit of an absurgence in uh, crystal methamphetamine, crystal meth as it's colloquially known, um, also fentanyl. And, and what we're also finding is that there's the fentanyl that is on our streets is actually a little bit stronger or more potent than previous. So that's why we're encountering potentially some more of our drug poisonings. Um, again, my heart goes out to the families for, for, for uh, family members who are suffering an opioid addiction. Uh, this is not, a, not an easy thing, but my heart also goes out to the officers. Um, at their most recent board meeting, I indicated uh, that um, there's not a shift goes by that our officers don't attend a drug poisoning call um, and provide life care assistance through the naloxone or with fire who are doing the same thing. Um, but if we're going that many, I can tell you there's a lot more that we're not getting to. Um, and this past weekend, unfortunately, we encountered uh, one individual who had uh, three bouts of a drug poisoning over the weekend, over the course of two days. So uh, we're, we're continually to struggle with this. I'm very excited to, uh, again, in our strategic plan, we're going to see a, a large um, attention on uh, the harm reduction program. Uh, we did sample and test the HARP project that was in the annual report. It was an idea of uh, Sergeant McDonald and Constable Bertrand. And we saw some real tangible uh, product or results of moving people along to resources. Um, so we're hoping to uh, continue that program with some grant funding applications we have out and about. And um, we're really hoping to work collaboratively with, with the county and the town to try to look at long-term solutions for this. You provide a list of statistics related to the amounts of fentanyl, cocaine, and crystal meth and other drugs in your report. You put it in terms of so many grams. Can you put those into context so people can understand what those figures mean in terms of drug usage and the impact on individuals? Yeah, the, the note on the bottom of the page, and I encourage everyone to look at our annual report, but 0 0.05 grams or the 0.1 gram increment of fentanyl is enough to, for a person to have a drug poisoning event. And we seized over 132 grams. So to put it into context, that is a lot of potential death in any one community, let alone our small community of Coburg. So from our perspective, obviously any amount of this fentanyl is, is no good. We found when we started seeing an increase in crystal methamphetamine um, incurring, we also know that that is pretty easily produced. So we were wondering if some of the uh, cross border limitations due to the pandemic saw some locally grown, not so much in Coburg, but in Canada. Um, and we continue to work towards 
um, enhanced drug investigations. As, as I've said before, we're not merely arresting people for simple possession. Uh, that's not what we're doing anymore, but we are looking and targeting those individuals who are bringing and trafficking narcotics into our community, including fentanyl. And, and that has been a lot of that kind of seizures and that kind of uh, dollar street dollar value that's been taken off the streets. You held a major press conference on John Street in August of 2021 to quell concerns that the neighborhood uh, was facing an uh, increase in crime and drugs. You outlined a number of initiatives. Can you update us on the progress of those initiatives? Absolutely. Um, so that's a, that's a tough decision as a chief to make, to take, take it to the streets, if you will. However, what we had there was... Uh, we had a residence that was really built for four or five people and upwards around 20 to 25 people were regularly in the residence. Obviously, it was a safety concern. Um, those who know me know that I don't work in a silo. I work in a collaborative team. So I brought the town together, property standards, fire. We worked uh, very closely with fire, Colbert Fire, Aaron Blair specifically. He did the line share work to make sure that house was code. It wasn't. Um, we had an absentee landlord. We have now engaged that landlord and that landlord saw maybe the error in their ways. Um, what we've seen since then is, um, yes, unfortunately, there were people who were vicariously housed there. We did, we did uh, <laughs> move them along, unfortunately, and made them more vulnerable from a housing perspective. And I understand that. But these are these tough decisions to make because had we not taken action, had there been a fire, then unfortunately lives would have been lost. So um, I'm really happy to know that the uh, landlord has quote unquote up their game. Um, we see a far more compliance. The fire does regular inspections. The property standards orders, my understanding have all been removed. Uh, there are current tenants in the place who uh, are, are rightful tenants who are in, enjoying their home. Um, unfortunately, yes, we did move a, a more people, but um, we were, we're, we're encouraged uh, that landlords from that one event, landlords have become a little bit more concerned about what it is they have and who it is they're living in their properties and just to try to ensure some safety in that sense. And that's where the HARP program worked really, really well in that we recognized that of those people living at uh, John Street, a lot of them weren't from our community and we were able to rehome them in the sense that brought them back to the community where their supports exist. And uh, that was as far as way as Brockville to Campbellford to other places. But what we did is we moved people safely. We didn't put them in the back of the cruiser, drive them to the community and drop them off. It was moved to resources. So um, in a couple of cases with working with community livings across uh, Eastern Ontario or uh, the various uh, uh, ODSP uh, caseworkers. Let's talk a little bit about the crime stats. Over the last number of years, there has been a decline in the number of calls. In 2019, there were more than 11,000 calls. It dropped in 2020 and again in 2021. What does that trend indicate to you? Uh, I, I, I'm very cautious, very cautious in looking at that and that our number of calls for service are just marginally down and we, we are coming through a pandemic. So that would have um, where some calls would increase, other calls would decrease. Uh, what we're talking really about is a reduction in the crime severity index. So um, we have seen a reduction in that. So that means if you look at the statistics, that means there's less severe crime in our community. However, um, the non-crime calls continue to come. And those are those social disorder 
calls for service that still require and then oftentimes require a much more concerted approach than a simple um, investigation of a theft or a simple investigation of, a, uh, of an assault. When you get into some of the social disorder and the mental health crises that make up our non-crime stats or our calls for service, those ones can't be forgotten. And I often say if anyone's looking at crime severity calls and saying this reduced, so therefore the requirement for policing has gone down, that, that those two don't, don't correlate. So what I do see is I saw an increase in clearance rates. So that tells me that uh, the team here at Covert Police Service are doing better. We're, we're resolving crime. It doesn't mean all of those crimes are being solved by going to court. Um, sometimes it's a resolution and the, and the victim, if you will, doesn't want to see the matter proceed criminally, but we've actually solved the crime. So that, that's a good indicator. If you have an increase in clearance rates, that means there's resolution for victims of crime. We have, uh, we have a couple of areas where we didn't do so well, uh, specifically motor vehicle thefts, which are, again, a national crisis. Again, it was on the news again this morning. Theft from autos, again, we've heard a lot about that, even though the concerted efforts of our team um, so we, we did see, uh, we did see a lower clearance rate there. So that's something that we're going to be focusing on with a bit of a street crime focus moving forward into 2022. What were the numbers around the social based incidents that you get so often called to? Yeah, if you, I'm looking at the book, for instance, um, in the mental hat, mental uh, health act and police assistance. So a police assistance call, oftentimes when I speak publicly, people say, what is a police assistance call? Well, generally that's a catch all. In other words, something's going on. We don't know what, and we need the police to help. And oftentimes these are referrals to service. These, these could be uh, an overdose or a drug poisoning. We saw them keep, keep increasing with, a, with like a 63% increase. Um, missing persons, we, we saw an increase in missing persons for some reason. I don't know what that, what that really was about. But overall, what we really did see was this, this social disorder that we have asked to be this tip of the spear across the country from a policing standpoint is no different here in Coburg. So again, um, the amount of time our officers are spending in, in dealing with uh, social, social issues is, is important. And we are there to provide those resources to those community members who need them when they need them. Uh, but we, 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 we want to see more MHART and the team of MHART and, and more addictions, uh, street, street level uh, addictions work that would really, really have an impact on those numbers. So overall, where our domestic disturbances stayed roughly the same. So those are those precursors to domestic violence. So if we can really uh, um, focus attention on, on counseling, um, focus attention on getting the right people, i.e. cornerstone, to start doing some work around gender-based violence, we can see a reduction in domestic assault, which is always a good thing. So when I see domestic disturbances kind of leveling off, um, there's a minor minor increase. Um, well, that, that's a good thing, given, especially given the pandemic that we've come through. The criminal investigations branch laid 164 charges. What was the focus of the bulk of those cases? Most of that was uh, drug enforcement. Um, obviously there's lots of work. So anything that is a prolonged investigation, large-scale frauds or um, criminal harassments and things to that nature or sexual assault investigations. But last year, um, in the last two years, really, we've we have seen a need to really address the trafficking of narcotics from the greater Toronto area into our community. Um, we've worked very cooperatively with the Port Hope Police Service and the Ontario Provincial Police locally because we recognize the, these, uh, these drug dealers don't know boundaries, so why should we? So that has been a real big focus, um, obviously, um, and we would like to position away from that a bit, but uh, 
there is still quite a bit of demand there. What do you attribute the big drop in the use of force incidents between 2020 and 2021? Um, I, I'm really cautious to say it's, it's, it's I, I think it's a bit of an anomaly. I want to be careful that we don't, um, we don't rest on our laurels, if we will. I do know we've been spending a lot of time training internally on de-escalation, on communication. Um, we are um, more engaged and that helps. Um, our folk are really, our, our officers on the, on the road are, um, are really truly professionals. So um, I, I'm going to take that credit that the officers are, are using their verbal judo a bit more than they've had to. But um, uh, again, it's, it's a time of a pandemic. Uh, we had some critical times where use of force could or should have maybe been used. And it depends on which side of the fence you think you sit on. But uh, I really, really am um, very proud. Um, there was uh, several protests in town that had the potential for some volatility. And the team did just really, really well to manage to manage that crisis and allowing a voice to be heard without um, too much acrimony for anybody else. So overall, I think it's a it's a good training tool. We are training locally now, which helps. Uh, we used to go to Durham, so now we're training internally here. So our teams get to train together. Uh, so that's all. Oh, there's added benefits to that. We've increased the hours of our training. We've increased um, what we're training on. We're in training on implicit bias training. We're we're, we're training on accessibility standards. We're, we're doing a lot of that informal online training and in-person training. So I'd like to think some of that's that, but Rob, next year, if the numbers go up, you can make me eat my words. The number of complaints appears to remain steady at around a dozen each year over the past three years. Why is that? And what's being done to reduce the number of complaints? Um, first off, I'm really, really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally satisfied with the, with the number in the sense that we're never going to be at zero. So, so our officers will make mistakes and some people will think our officers have made mistakes. This year we had a bit, a couple more complaints from, uh, from the public, less, let alone from the office of the chief of police. So in that number of 12, there's combined public complaints and chief's complaints. That's a chief's complaint is something that I see is something that makes me wonder why, and, and, I, and I order an internal investigation on those matters. So overall, we get over 10,000 calls for service. That's probably half of every interaction. So we had over 20,000 interactions, if not more, with members of the community. And I have, I think, six or seven uh, uh, public complaints. Overall, statistically, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I look at the resolution matters. And what it shows the public is, in some cases, our officers needed to be better. And that was a substantiated complaint. And we, we've addressed those with uh, training if required. Other times we just sat down with people and explained both sides of the story. And oftentimes the officer would apologize. Maybe they didn't give the, give the person the, the, due, the due time they needed. But overall, um, our, uh, except for one matter that's in front of a police act hearing, um, everything has been resolved. And I'm, I'm very content that A, the public know that we are accountable, know how to access those complaints and, um, and, and can complain. And we have a good team of do very thorough investigations. And uh, I know the Office of the Independent Review Director has mentioned previously that uh, our reports are thorough, uh, concise and on time. So that's what we have to do as we move forward. You've alluded to this a number of times in our interview, but looking back at the past year, where does the encounters with the protesters back in the spring of uh, last year sit right now? And what has become of those charges? Um, I, I don't know the total outcome. I know some are still before the courts. I know there's. I know the last time I had checked, there are still some 
offers of resolutions, maybe going back and forth. Um, I'm, I'm, again, I've alluded to it a couple of times, and, and, and I think it's important in the context of what we saw in Ottawa. I, I can't say enough that um, the, the members of our service faced those protests every Saturday for, for months. Um, but outside of a couple of uh, days where things kind of got a little bit hot, Overall, the mutual respect shown from both sides of the issue um, was, was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing in hindsight. And um, maybe in a year or so, those who were, uh, those were on King Street walking and myself would maybe agree or disagree. But, but overall, um, there's a lot of staff hours deployed to that. It created a lot of acrimony at the time in our community about people saying they shouldn't be there, they could be there, they, and different things of that nature. Um, but overall, um, I, I, I feel, I know our team did a great job. We had lots of charges laid, but that was just the nature of the work. And um, at the end of the day, the courts will decide what has to happen to those charges. That's not, that's one thing about the Canadian justice system. As long as my officers laid the most appropriate charge, we weren't seen as being over heavy handed, which we weren't, um, then the courts will figure out the best way to resolve these matters moving forward. And as we today we open up and there's no masks and vaccine requirements change and different things change, like everything else, um, it'll be viewed with a different light um, a year or a year and a half after the event. But uh, I still stand strongly behind the officers who laid those charges and that they did the right thing. When you look at what was happening in Ottawa and on the borders with the protesters uh, just a few months ago, um, what lessons do you take away? Because I mean, not we didn't face that on the same scale, but it's the, the same issues are at the heart of it. How do you look at those experiences in Ottawa and apply them to what you're doing here in Coburg? Yeah, nothing's the same um, in the sense of what we face in Coburg, except that we had some very passionate people uh, who really wanted to make a, a stand and a say as to what um, they were saying. What I will say is that we communicated early we communicated regularly, and we never stopped or closed the channels of communication between the organizers and the key people in my organization. Never. We, based on my, my direction and with some work, we treated this as we would a labor unrest or a strike, in that we recognized there's, there's two sides to the issue, and both people are, are, are embattled, if you will, or really keen on um, on, uh, on their side. And we just tried to be the middle ground and tried to hold order and hold to keep peace. And uh, again, with the exception of like two days where things got a little bit hot, overall, very, very good, great mutual respect. And again, we communicated often, we communicated early, and we always ensured that there was opportunities for people to resolve their concerns if they had them with us or with the, with the protesters in a peaceful way, sometimes after the fact, but nonetheless, I think that's, that was our takeaway. I'm not criticizing the folks in Ottawa was a much larger scale. I couldn't imagine trying to organize such a thing, but uh, I truly believe our educate, our educate, our educate and then enforce actually held us in good stead. And I know some people of the community thought we were being a little bit, uh, slow in getting to the enforcement side or the removal side, but uh, sitting from my seat, I thought it was done very, very, very well. 
you like to talk about your community partners? What was the highlight for you over the past year when it comes to the various partnerships and collaborations you have with various community groups? You know, it, it's, it's really quite, um, it's really quite satisfying. I, I was just chuckling because I'm, I'm, I, I should state my bias. So um, I rode across Northumberland County for rebound because I saw an impact on youth. I saw virtual schooling. I saw those kids who need rebound services for a variety of reasons in a normal day. And now we're virtual and that, the, those group, that group of youth really needed a hand up. And I felt personally I could provide that hand up and uh, it was uh, truly heartwarming. Uh, a, we raised a few dollars, which is, it's just nice. I'm sure Carol Beauchamp and the team there are happy for the money, but the, the comments and the feedback I got from people was pretty remarkable. Uh, what we saw clearly as in this year, the community safety well-being, one of the big partners being all of the all of the municipalities coming on board to create a well-being plan for our county. Uh, we have work to do around addictions. We have learning to do collectively. I need those partners to come together. But um, again, we worked very closely with Cornerstone and their gender-based violence as the pressures mounted on families. We worked very closely with the Children's Aid Society. We often forget them as a community partner, but they are. Um, so collectively, we are blessed in Coburg to have so many of these community partners and actually have their offices and space here and forecast um, and everything else, you know. So does one stand out? I, I don't know that one stands out more than another, but uh, collectively, what I want to propel forward over the next couple of years is really seeing this, this team uh, address some of the issues that uh, right now are, are laying at our feet. Community engagement is central to the Coburg Police Force's activities. Your youth engagement programs, your foot patrols uh, are just a few of many programs that the police force operates. What stood out for you in this aspect of the service? Um, again, it, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult because it is the essence of who we are, right? So it's it's from our police tech accelerator and some of those really innovative solutions at the pandemic. And we really came up with some, some unique opportunities to explore uh, UV scanning and work with small business to keep our officers car safe. It works, that engagement continues on through in all of the partnerships again, as we've already mentioned, but also taking those moments and oftentimes people go, ah, they're raising this flag or they're raising that flag taking a moment to engage with a small group of our population who every day maybe go through their trials and tribulations, be it the, the ending transgender violence, um, be it the, the stop of bullying abuse, the walk a mile in her shoes, all of those things collectively are sometimes one day events, but they really draw a point home in that we are a very truly diverse community and we really try to um, work collectively with our folk. Um, the National Day of Reconciliation, the first, uh, the first day and the uh, being present in that powerful day down um, on, in, the, in the south end of town here was, was pretty remarkable. Um, our Indigenous awareness training, our continued work with equity, diversity and inclusion, um, all of our officers being trained on the gender-based analysis plus to ensure we're internally and externally uh, a healthy gender location. All of these things go together to show that our members in everything they do are looking to engage the community 
in every way possible, like the food banks, um, the, the, uh, the tremendous amount of food that was raised over the Christmas season at a traditional Kramer cruiser. Again, we would need three hours, Rob, for me to, and I would still forget to recognize one of our great community partners because at the heart of what we do, um, again, I, I hate quoting Peel sometimes, but at the heart of what we do is the police are the people and the people are the police. What lessons have you learned in 2021? Again, I'm gonna go right back that I probably took for granted how resilient uh, the members of this COVID police service are. Um, we went uh, through a pretty, we had some layoffs due to the pandemic and closures. They get, they're all back to work now, thankfully. Um, we really, really saw that. So we, we know we're gonna to continue to work on our resilience and train our, on our resilience. I, uh, I did, did not need to be reminded how gracious this community is. Um, so I do that. And we also know that we have a lot of work to do um, to make ourselves better partners in assessing and assisting those populations who need us the most at times, be it those who are homeless or those who are suffering a mental health crisis or those who are suffering addiction. And that's why you're gonna see a strong focus on harm reduction. You're gonna see a continued language around decriminalization. Uh, you're gonna see a continued focus on investigations and crime in relation to victims and drug trafficking. So my takeaways really are, we have a lot of work to do to remain current, to remain responsive. And my takeaway every year is to remind myself at around this time of year, that how fortunate I am to lead a police service of this nature, to work in a community of this style. And we have to remind ourselves daily that we are servants. And, uh, and, and that's what we're here to do. And, uh, and I serve my people and uh, in turn, I, I serve the community and I try to balance that. And that sometimes can be a tricky job, but uh, I've managed to pull it off for the last couple of years. Okay, I guess. Chief Paul Vandegraaff, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Rob. That was Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff talking about the annual report for 2021. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.